more about our connection groups through our website or even just after the service today, uh, outside these doors to your left, we've got a booth set up there and uh, we'd love to tell you a little bit more about how you can get connected uh, at Genesis. Hey, good morning to all you. We want to thank you for coming out on this questionable snowy, is it a warning, is it an advisory sort of morning? Uh, we're glad that it worked out for you to be here uh, with us. My name is Paul Mumaw and I'm the lead pastor here. And how many of you uh, have ever let someone borrow something uh, and, well, it's not going to turn out well because maybe you never saw that item come back. Anybody have a story like that? All right, lots of hands uh, up around the room. I mean, we share. I mean, we loan and borrow. I mean, that's kind of part of, you know, the goodwill of, uh, of being an American, hopefully. And, but, but I think we would just all say that sometimes uh, it goes horribly wrong. Like, check out, listen to this story. Uh, I found this. This came out of a St. Paul, Minnesota newspaper. Uh, it says, Christopher James Musburger, 29, uh, of St. Paul, Minnesota, was charged with terroristic threats after police were called to his apartment building. A 62-year-old woman said she lent Musburger a book, then saw it on the floor outside of her apartment door. Well, evidently, she was a little miffed by this. Again, it's her book. She didn't like the way that he had treated uh, her possession. So she asked Musburger, again, probably with a little sarcasm, why didn't you just throw the book of away uh, instead of throwing it on the floor? Well, she later told police that this just enraged Musburger. Uh, he confronted her, his nose touching hers. Uh, he told her, if you weren't so weak, I would seriously hurt you. Uh, he pushed her back a few steps with his chest puffed out uh, like he was getting ready to fight her. Well, she could tell that he was intoxicated and told him that if he continued to push her, she would call the police. Well, at that moment, Musburger, get this, sprinted inside his apartment and came out with a long sword in his hand. Now, not only did he have this sword, but he unsheathed it uh, and then apparently thought better of it, returned to his apartment, after which she called the police. Well, the story says that the police came and arrested Musburger. Uh, the police report says that his blood alcohol content was 0.185, about two and a half times the legal limit in Minnesota. And later, at the Ramsey County Jail, an investigator asked Musburger why he acted in this way. And here's, was, here's his response, and this is the quote because I'm an idiot, all right? I mean, uh, he said, because I'm an idiot, and I think we can all agree with that. But you know what? This story, and I'm sure, and I hope that some of you have some less dramatic uh, examples, they kind of call into question, you know, this, this maybe universal question of why don't we have a shared set of guidelines against some universal uh, principles or measures uh, that has everything to do with borrowing someone else's stuff, you know, just some universal guidelines. Lines, uh, that we can all agree on. Well, you're in luck. Uh, I found this week that one blogger has come up with uh, some of these. He calls them the eight simple rules of sharing, and it includes uh, such common sense suggestions as uh, balance what you take uh, with what you give, um, always ask before borrowing. All right, we appreciate that. Uh, set a time and a date for returning something. If you're going to borrow something from a friend or a neighbor, set a date when you intend uh, to give that back. Or how about this? Make sure you return those items in the same or better condition than you receive them. Just common sense stuff, right? I mean, common sense things that we can all agree to. Well, here's why uh, this is relevant, and here's why I, I share this with you today. I want to look at a verse with you uh, this morning that comes out of the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, which reads this, a tithe of everything from the land 
whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Now, the word tithe means tenth, all right? It means 10%. And God's word for us here in Leviticus says that a tenth of what we produce, meaning a tenth of what we earn, a tenth of what we profit, a tenth of what we are given, belongs to the Lord. So we have, we can assume that we have a responsibility to take care of that which He's provided. Now, uh, we're in the second week of this series here called The Ladder, and last week we talked about uh, what we just called the first principle of generosity, which was this, that it all comes from God, uh, that everything we have, everything good that we have comes from our Father in heaven. It comes from God. And the second principle I want to cover with you today is what we'll call the principle of the tithe, and it's just this. It's the principle that the first tenth belongs to God. And I want to get you thinking in that direction and what that mean, might mean for you and for your life and for your family. It's this principle that the first tenth belongs to God. It comes right out of Leviticus 27.30, again, which says, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, what is it? It belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. It belongs to Him. It's uh, the, the, the verse says that it's, it's holy, which means it's set apart, which means it's really important. And, and that means that much more than the book that you borrowed or the snow shovel that you lent uh, your neighbor. And that's why uh, last week, uh, as we got started in the series, we referred to this ladder and we challenged, my challenge for everyone here is that you know, if you really want to trust the Lord with every part of your heart and every part of your life, uh, the challenge was to take a step in your giving and in your generosity. And so if the way that you live your life is just kind of your plan, the way you sort of do things, and maybe you don't give regularly or you don't give consistently, it's just this challenge of what would it look like for you to take a step up onto the ladder and to start giving something and to make it a priority uh, and to give first. And so we called last week, we, the, the challenge was to become a priority giver. And a priority giver is just someone that whenever you get paid, you give first. You, you give back to the church that you call your church. You make it the first gift uh, that you give. And it just means that as you and I, as we grow in our relationship with God, we want to make giving financially to His work uh, through your church a priority in your life too. Now today I want to challenge another group of people, all right, because we're all going to get challenged in this series together and again next week. But for those of you uh, that are already giving something and maybe you're giving something consistently or even regularly, I want to challenge you today to be praying and to think about taking the next step up on the ladder to move up a step and become what we're going to call, and it's in your notes, a proportional giver. All right, to take the next step up onto the ladder and, and become what we call a proportional giver. Now, this next step on the ladder means uh, and is all about giving a proportion of your income. And what I hope to do today is to show you how this is a good and, and meaningful and obedient and, and biblical place to get uh, in your giving. Now, in case uh, again, you're new to all of this, and, and we'd like to say, too, that if you're new to Genesis, if, if you're new to, to church or even to faith or even just kind of still exploring or asking questions of this, you, you've got time with this. You're kind of off the hook. And so we're, we're talking about, you know, followers of Jesus and for our church and what we believe the Lord has in mind for all of us. But I'm going to use this word tithe uh, quite a bit today, and it might be a word that you've heard before, maybe not, but the word tithe uh, just simply means tenth, all right? It's a mathematical term. It's in your notes. A tithe means tenth or ten 
percent. And, and here's how proportional giving uh, works practically in your life. And as a way of making this very simple and, again, keeping it very practical, I decided to turn to Gen Kids uh, because, as Ben mentioned, uh, they're talking about giving and generosity in Gen Kids too. So they used this example last week. Here's what proportional giving looks like. Let's just suppose for a moment with these bananas that we all live in banana land. All right? I mean, that's just, that's where we live, and part of living in banana land means that uh, their currency, their money is bananas. And so when you work a job, you get paid uh, in bananas. All right? So just imagine that every week, whatever you do, you received a pay uh, of 10 bananas. Here's what proportional giving looks like if you're getting paid uh, with bananas. You take the first banana that you receive and you give this back to the Lord. All right? You make it your first gift back to Him. You tithe with a banana with one of your 10 bananas. And that just means with the rest of it, you'd be wise, I'd be wise to say, you know, I'm going to put a couple of them away in savings. I'm going to put them in a savings account or a money market or a mutual fund because that's wise too. And we know that the Bible has something to say uh, about our savings, but then I'm going to live off of the rest. All right, and, and so it, it's this discipline that I set up in my life that, you know, based on my income, I'm going to give the first one a tenth back to the Lord. I want to live according to His way. I'm probably going to put some away in savings, and that's wise, uh, but I'm going to live off of the rest of these bananas. Now, I just want to add here, if any bananas show up in our offering bag this week or in, in coming weeks, it's not funny, folks, all right? Just, just follow along with me. But uh, it looks like uh, this for those of us living on planet Earth, that uh, every time you get 10 of these, I just have $1 bills here. Uh, it works the same. You know, if I want to live according to God's way for my life, a, a great start for me is to say, okay, every time I receive 10 of these, I'm going to take one of them and I'm going to give it back to the Lord. I'm going to return it uh, to the church. Now, we, we look at something like that with dollar bills or with bananas. We say, well, that's, that's pretty easy. I mean, I'm sure I can do that. We can all do that. Well, just imagine with me for a moment that all of a sudden these become $10 bills. Well, all of a sudden you see, well, it you know, starts to become a little bit more of a stretch to give away one of them. Or how about uh, $1,000? What if these are $100 bills? Well, again, you can see what starts to happen. Or let's just imagine for a moment that you make $100,000 a year. And so all of a sudden the thought of giving $10,000 away every year, returning that uh, to the place where you worship. Or even if you make $15,000 a year, again, see the stretch and returning $1,500, making that a goal or a, a starting place uh, in your giving. I mean, giving away even $1,500 is a little frightening. I mean, all of a sudden, you see and I can see how tithing requires trust. And how tithing requires faith and obedience, no matter how much or how little that you have. And so do you see, can you see how this is going to affect your relationship with God? Can you see the work that it's going to do in your heart? I mean, it really is a heart issue for us. I mean, He knows, the Father knows that more often than not, the way to your heart and my heart usually involves our money. Now, before anyone says, well, what difference in the world does my $1,500 make to someone else's $10,000, let's be reminded of this, that it's not about equal gifts. It's about equal sacrifice. Uh, look what Jesus had to say about this in Luke chapter 21, uh, starting in verse 1. It says, as Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of wealth, but she out of her poverty in all she had to live on. See, even here, Jesus shows us that it's not about equal gifts, 
but about equal sacrifice and obedience. And together, when we do this and we, we, we make this our way, we, we recognize that it all belongs to Him. And so uh, because of that, we give out of faith, and we're trusting God to provide for everything that we need. Now, let's switch gears for a second. Why a tenth? Why a tenth for us? I mean, where does the tithe come from? Well, uh, to understand the tithe, you've got to go all the way back in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, uh, to Genesis chapter 14. And what you'll find as you uh, read through the book of Genesis is that part of Genesis is also telling the story of a guy by the name of Abraham. And uh, in Genesis 14, we read about how Abraham was faithful and how he was trying to live and to trust and to honor God with everything. Well, one day, Abraham was returning home victoriously uh, from battle, and not only did he return with his life, but he managed to get away with large amounts of money and valuables too. Well, as Abraham is returning to his home, this mysterious man by the name of Melchizedek Uh, appears out of nowhere and greets Abraham. And honestly, we don't know a lot about this guy that I'm just going to call Mel because it's much easier to say. Uh, We just know from Scriptures that he's the priest of the Most High God and that he was the king of Salem, which might mean Jerusalem for us. We also know that the New Testament writer of Hebrews referred to Jesus as a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Again, he's mysterious. We don't know a lot about him. We just see and recognize that he's important. Well, anyways, Mel appears uh, to Abraham, and here's what he says in Genesis 14, verses 19 and 20. He says, Blessed be Abraham by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hands. See, he's reminding Abraham that he's been blessed, all right? He knows something. And so he's just calling out the truth in Abraham's life. He says, hey, you're blessed. And, and he's like, you know, God's really looking out for you, Abraham. He gave you victory. And you know what? He's got great plans for your life too. And how does Abraham respond? Well, the end of verse 20 there says that Abraham tithed. He gave him a tenth of everything that he received. And so Abraham's an example for us. His response and the way that he lived, he looked at what the Lord had given him and what the Lord had provided, and his response was to return a tenth of what he had to God's representative. Now, I wonder, and again, these are just my thoughts, but if this had happened uh, today, I believe that Abraham would have returned a tenth of what he received to the church that he was a part of. Again, a tenth uh, of his victory, of everything from the victory that God had blessed him with. Now, let me just stop there for a moment, and let me just ask you uh, this question. Uh, Abraham had victory. How many of you know that you have victory in Jesus Christ? Yeah. How many of you realize that you have victory uh, in Jesus Christ? I mean, if you've trusted Christ with your life and with your salvation, you have victory in Him too. I've got a friend who uh, recently outlined 33 truths Uh, that are in Scripture, 33 things that happen in your life the moment that you surrender your life to Jesus, the moment that you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord. Now, I have a hard enough time keeping these messages to 35 minutes as is, so I'm not going to go through uh, these 33 things, but just a few of them. You know, that moment that you trusted Jesus Christ with your life instantly, and finally, things like when you trusted Christ with your life, do you know that you were instantly forgiven? That means past, present, and future. All the sins that you've ever committed and will commit, those sins uh, were forgiven. When you trusted Jesus Christ with your life, you became a child of God. You were adopted as a part of His family, and because of that, you can call Him Father. And that just means that as a child of God, you have access to God. 
You can go to God anytime and at any moment with those things that are on your heart and your prayers, and He's there and He listens. Uh, when you trusted Christ with your life, your identity was found in Jesus Christ, which means that nothing else in this world can define you. When you're in Christ, your identity is in Him and you belong to Him. And trusting Christ means that you have a heavenly citizenship now, that this earth is our temporary home, but our eternal home is going to be with Him in heaven and as a citizen of heaven. It just means for you and me that God has a purpose and a plan for your life, and you have a specific part and role to play in this world. You've got a part in helping others find their way back to God, and that's only six, six of 33 things, at least 33 things that happen in your life the moment you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. The fact is that if you're in Christ, you have victory in Jesus you have victory in Jesus Christ, and no one can ever take that away. And for Abraham, he was so overwhelmed in his victory by the work of God in his life that he gave in response. I mean, the reality of what had happened drove him to obedience, and he honored the Lord with his wealth by returning a tenth to God. And if that's how Abraham responded in the sight of his victory, how should you and I respond as we come to understand more and more the victory that we have in Jesus Christ? I mean, shouldn't we surrender and offer up every part of our life to Him, every moment of every day and all we do for Him, including the way that we treat and view our finances? He honored the Lord by returning a tenth of His wealth to God. Is that the least that we can do for the Lord too? You know, Abraham's example is the first recorded instance of tithing in the Bible. And after this point, Scripture is pretty clear that a tenth belongs to God. Now, that word tithe uh, is used something like 29 times in the Bible, and every time it's used in the context of returning to the Lord what already belongs to Him. Now, I want you to notice that I'm trying to be very careful in how I say that in saying uh, I'm not telling you to give a tithe because I've heard some people say before that because it doesn't belong to us, we can't give it, all right? We can only return what already belongs to Him, what is already His to begin with. Again, Leviticus 27.30 says it all, it belongs to the Lord. And so, I want to make it very clear. And I know uh, that this will come up for some of you. I know that some like to argue that, well, this is Old Testament stuff. Like, why, why are we focusing on these Old Testament things? That we're not under the law anymore. But, but consider this again. I mean, consider this again from Leviticus 27.30. I, I want you to see that it isn't written like law. All right, on this occasion, I mean, this, this concept of the tithe goes all the way back to Abraham, well before the law was ever given. And besides, the law says you should. Uh, the law says you shall or that you must do something. But this verse here in Leviticus and the way that is written, it's different. Uh, and it's like this. Write this in your notes. According to this verse, we see that the tithe isn't a law for us. It's a principle. All right, the tithe isn't a law for us. It, it's a principle. And here's the difference. The law says you must do a principle says this is true. All right, let me say that again. A law for us says you must do. A principle says this is true. And there's a difference. I mean, it's like another place in Scripture when we read that, you know, as Josh referenced just a moment ago, that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's a principle. Right? That doesn't change when Jesus comes on the scene. I mean, it's still uh, true. I mean, He will always own all of the bovine, you know, on, on a thousand hills, you know, across this world. And so Leviticus 27.30, again, it just shows us, it reminds us that a tenth belongs to the Lord. And so that doesn't change when we arrived in the New Testament. In fact, 
I'll just suggest this. If, if we want to just throw that argument out, if we want to throw the Old Testament argue out, uh, argument out that everything changed with Jesus, so we're not under the law anymore, which is true, all right, that's a true statement, but be careful. We've got to be careful with that argument because so often when Jesus talked about Old Testament stuff, He didn't throw it out. He didn't lower the bar for us. In fact, over and over again, we just see Him raising the bar of what He expects and wants from his followers. For instance, uh, the Old Testament law says don't murder. But what did Jesus say? He says, if you hate, it's like murder. Don't hate your brother. I don't do that. Uh, The Old Testament law says don't commit adultery. But Jesus says, you know what? If you lust, it's just like committing adultery in your heart. Don't commit lust. Don't don't lust. And Jesus affirmed the tithe too. He raised the bar in giving. Look at Matthew uh, 23, 23. Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees, and he said to them, woe to you, Teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Now notice this. He says, you give a tenth, you tithe of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. He says, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. And so he criticized these men for neglecting things like justice and mercy and faithfulness, and he validated the tithe for them too by saying, hey, keep tithing but don't forget about these other things that matter to me too and as well. He says, I want you to live. I want you to give with the right heart and with the right perspective. And just like then, Jesus invites you and me to live our lives doing the very same things, to give with the right heart. In fact, you know what I believe that Jesus has done with giving and generosity and when it comes to the New Testament? I I think He's opened the door to even greater giving. You know, in the New Testament, every New Testament example of giving and generosity goes far beyond. It exceeds the tithe, and so the, the, the whole tithe, and so while the tithe is, we could say, is God's historical method to get us on the path of giving and generosity, it's not the finish line of our giving. In fact, I think it's really a starting place for us. I mean, tithing and setting aside a tenth of what you receive really is the starting place of what God wants to do in your heart and do in my heart when it comes to this area of generosity. But here's the thing. It's up to you. Now, I I, I can stand up here, anybody can stand up here, and we can tell this story and we can read these words, but, but it's up to you to decide what you want to do with them. And when it comes to the way you live and when it comes to the way that you view your money, I mean, let's just say it as it is. I mean, you have a choice. I have a choice. I mean, you can choose to do it your way, or you can choose to do it God's way. But here's what I believe. I believe that when it comes to our finances and the way we view and treat the resources that have been provided for us, that God has laid out a path for us, and it's a path where every follower of Christ is climbing this ladder of generosity just a little bit more and a little more trust, and a little more faith every year. Now, why? Why does God call us to live like this? Why the tithe? I mean, why does it have to involve our money? Hey, He just knows the effect that money has on us. You know, I mean, He knows that we've all got this nerve, especially men, that leads from our heart to our wallets. And I mean, you know this. I mean, you, you know how much faith it takes and trust it requires to give and to live like this. And is it really an issue, you might ask? I mean, you might think, why, why do we to talk about this every year? Is it really a big deal? Well, you tell me. Most research indicates today that somewhere between 2% and 7% of Christians tithe. 
2% and 7%. And while I certainly don't know what all of you make, we estimate that it's about the same for Genesis Church too. We're about right there with, with, with the averages. Now, why? Why is it the case? I mean, if Jesus talked about it so much and how it's clearly an important part of our spiritual journey, I mean, why do so few people tithe? Well, I mean, I think for some, we, we just might choose to ignore it. Um, I, I think for others at times, I know this is where my wife and I were. I mean, there's some fear uh, that comes with changing your lifestyle and giving in this way. Uh, maybe you're like me. Uh, you know, no one ever taught me how to do this, uh, taught my wife and I how to do this. We kind of had to figure this out on our own. I think there's some other reasons uh, for not tithing. Let me, let me comment on a few of these. One is that, you know, sometimes we just say, well, I need to save before I give. I, I, need, to, I need to get a certain amount of savings aside before I give. But, and that makes sense to me, and I believe that the Bible has some wisdom for us when it comes to saving, uh, but saving is not more important than giving. All right, saving is living according to my plan rather than living according to God's plan. I mean, it's a me first, a bottom the ladder uh, sort of, of approach uh, to our finances. But tithing puts God first. Again, we acknowledge that it belongs to Him, and I am simply returning it to Him. Here's another reason. Uh, some people may say, well, when it comes to giving to a church, I just don't know if I can trust uh, the church and how the money is spent. And I know this is where it gets a little sticky, and if you come uh, from a, another church, maybe a church in your past where money wasn't handled carefully, or maybe even there was fraud, I mean, I can see how you might have some mistrust uh, when it comes to this. But let me just say this. If that's the only thing that's keeping you from giving, uh, would you consider doing something about that? I mean, I'll just speak for Genesis. I am so thankful for the uh, men that serve on our elder team here at Genesis and how every month uh, they review the, the financial statements of this church and the level of accountability uh, that they help provide. And in addition to them, we've got a great financial team put in place here that's made up of staff and of volunteers uh, with some very strict and honestly at times very cumbersome uh, policies and procedures uh, when it comes to the finances of this church, but it's all about making sure that we are careful stewards uh, with the money that's entrusted uh, to this church. And I, I, I just say that because I want you to know that your church leaders uh, can be trusted and the accountability and the faith that's in place. And I would just say to you that after all of that, you know, uh, if you would find that, you know, I, I just, I don't know if I can get there, I would encourage you, you know, any of us would be willing to sit down with you and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation uh, about how we do these things and about our budget. That information is, is always available to you. But again, after it all, if you would say, you know what, I, I just, I don't agree. I don't agree with the way the church is using the money. I, I just want to say to you, and I say this in love, please find another church that you can trust. Um, don't let your lack of trust prevent you from living the way that I believe that God wants us to live as His followers, and especially as it has to do uh, with the way that we treat our money too. Another reason that we don't give is we might say, you know, I'd love to give, my, but my spouse won't let me. I just want to be very sensitive to this, this and say, I, I get this for you. And I understand the challenge that could come with something like this. And I believe that unity is very important. Uh, in any marriage, and marriage is about trust. And so if you're at a place right now where you want to give, but your spouse doesn't want to, I realize that that leaves very few options with you at this point. And I would say that you need to honor your spouse. And there needs to be unity in your marriage when it comes to things like these. And so in the meantime, keep praying for your spouse and keep praying uh, for your marriage and wait for God to change their heart. Um, a fourth reason that sometimes we, we don't give to our churches, we'll say, well, I give to other causes. Uh, doesn't that count? Well, it all counts. I mean, generosity for us and what God wants to do in our heart, it all counts. And generosity in any form is going to break the grip 
uh, that we put on money and the effect that money has on our lives. But when it comes to giving, and I know that not everyone will agree with this, I've just come to the conclusion. I believe that Scripture points to the tithe coming back to the church first and that our offerings, that's our over and above and beyond giving, can go to support other causes and ministries. Now, here's why I, I see that. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, we read this. God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. He says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. And so we see that God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now, why? So that there may be food in my house. Well, in Old Testament times, the storehouse here referred to the temple of God. Today, that would be the church for us. And the food that God refers to is the ministry of the church. It's the ministry through the church or the ongoing work of God on this earth and through the church. Now, I believe, this is just my personal preference, and again, it might not be the right answer. I believe that the tithe is intended, it's specifically intended to infuse uh, the local church so that God's kingdom can continue to expand and that our offerings are over and above giving to other, you know, credible and worthwhile, helping people find their way back to God uh, sort of ministries. The last reason is this, uh, why we don't tithe, is that maybe we would say, I can't afford it. I can't afford to tithe. But I would say that many people can't afford to tithe simply because they're not tithing, because you're living according to your plan. And if we give our tithe to God first, I believe that He will bless us so that we can pay our debts on earth. I mean, Malachi 3.10, there's a promise in there. He says, test me in this. All right, I mean, this is the only place that I'm aware of in Scripture where He invites us to test Him. He says, test me in this and see if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing in your life. Again, this is the only place that I'm aware of where he invites us to test him, to put him to the task. Now, I'm not saying that it's easy to give. I'm not saying that it's easy to get started in it. But what I've learned is that I would much rather live off of 90% of my income inside the will of God than 100% of my income outside of the will of God. And if you're here today and for you, affordability right now, uh, is the reason that you're not tithing. I want to assure you that we don't want to just be a church that teaches how to give, but we want to be a church that helps provide resources to help you financially as well. And that's why we offer a program here called Financial Peace University. Uh, you've probably heard of it before. It's coming up uh, here next week, starting next Sunday night at 6 p.m., uh, right at our Noblesville campus. And it's a great program, a great ministry to help you learn how to manage your money. Now, many of you, my wife and I included, uh, have gone through FPU, and if you've never been through something like FPU before, I'd encourage you to check it out. I know that you, you won't regret it. Uh, let me say this. When, when Jenny and I were first married, we didn't tithe. Again, no one had ever taught us how to do this, and so we gave once in a while, but it wasn't until a few years into our marriage uh, that we started tithing. And do you know what we discovered? It was hard. Uh, it's hard to get started. It's hard to adjust. It's hard to make changes to your lifestyle and the way that you're used to spending your money and cutting back so that you can tithe 10%. But what we quickly found is that living off of 10% less didn't kill us. We figured it out. Uh, we made the adjustments. We adapted. But more importantly, 
when we started tithing, what we noticed is that God was opening up our hearts so that He could do something greater in my life and in Jenny's life and in our marriage. And so we started tithing 15 years ago. And I don't say this out of pride by any means, but we've grown in this area and we're giving much more uh, than the tithe today and we've got no regrets. No regrets whatsoever to let the Lord work in our life in this way. And we're doing everything we can to make sure that money doesn't have a grip on us and that it doesn't rule our lives, and it doesn't rule our home. And God has provided for us, and He has blessed us in more ways than I can count, in more ways than I can imagine. Now, this is just my story. And I know that this church is full of stories. You've got stories like this and how God has grown your heart uh, in this area. In fact, I want to tell you that um, not only do my wife and I tithe to this church, but I expect our elders to tithe to this church. I expect our staff uh, to tithe uh, to this church, and, and I'm thankful for all of you. Uh, I'm thankful for all of you who give, and, and whether you tithe or you're getting started in this as a priority giver or give over and above, um, you're making a big difference uh, in this church and, and around this church. I'm going to show you a little bit of that uh, in just a moment, but here's what I believe for you, and for those of you here that, that maybe think, you know what, I, I want to take that step, but I just don't know if I could take it. If you really could find the faith, and pray and ask the Lord to give you the faith to take this next step and begin tithing and offering your heart up to God. I believe that He will grow your heart and grow you closer uh, to Him and your trust and your faith in Him and your perspective, and you'll begin seeing God and you'll begin seeing this world like you never have before. And so here's my challenge before I close. Here's my challenge for you today. I want to challenge you to put God to the test. Uh, to put him to the test to his word. And here's what I want to ask you to do. If, you, uh, you're, um, if you've taken a step up onto this ladder, let's say, and maybe you've been giving first and giving consistently for some time now, but less than 10%, would you pray and ask the Lord to give you faith to take that next step up on the ladder and become a proportional giver? And uh, here's what I'd like to challenge you to do. I'd like to challenge you to do it for nine weeks. Uh, just try it for nine weeks. Uh, nine weeks takes us all the way up to Easter. Now, the Bible doesn't say test me in this for nine weeks all the way up till Easter, all right? But, but that just, I, I know we all have to start somewhere. And so what would it look like for you to say, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to try this for nine weeks. And I'm going to see how the Lord works in my life and see how he provides and see how he blesses me and my family. And so if you're not already doing this for the next nine weeks to become an obedient proportional giver, a put God to the test sort of giver, and do it. Start today. Uh, don't wait. Don't put it off. Um, next week, we're going to give everyone a chance uh, to respond, you know, to uh, the Lord and to His teaching through this series. We're going to ask everyone to maybe make a commitment, uh, take a step of faith with us uh, between now and Eastern. So would you be praying about the next step that He might have for you and what He wants to do in your heart and your life through it? Let me say this and I'll close. You know, one of the things that I love about giving to Genesis Church is that I just feel so much more a part of the work that God is doing uh, through this church and through this ministry. Uh, I love seeing people finding their way back to God. I love seeing the help that we can provide together uh, in this community and in the Indianapolis area and around the world. And so this morning, uh, we just wanted to share with you a glimpse a picture of some of the things you helped us do in 2014 and how the Lord is working. And while we see it and we respond to, let's think, I wonder what He might want to do this year in my life and as we trust Him. Check this out. 